0: know that there have been biblical catastrophes in the past, but what about the future? Is God really going to send more catastrophes into the modern world? Well, the scriptures actually say much about that topic, and our teacher, author, and theologian, Dr. John Whitcomb, is going to lead us in that study today. I'm Wayne Shepherd, your host here on Encounter God's Truth, and it's my joy to welcome you back as we finish this four-part series, Catastrophism is the Key. We have seen that it is the key to the past and to the present, and in this program we'll hear more about catastrophes prophesied for the future, what they mean to us, and especially how we should prepare for them. With that in mind, let's give careful attention to this important message from Dr. John Whitcomb.
1: Friends, I welcome you to our study of biblical catastrophism. We have seen already in recent weeks it's the key to understanding the past, the history of the world from the beginning. It's the key to understanding how the world that we now see in the present came to be the way it is, but now, for a few moments together, catastrophism the key to the future. Turn to the last letter and the last chapter of the last letter, written by the apostle Peter, second Peter chapter three. Now watch the emphasis on intelligence on clear thinking here, not just opinions and theories. now listen carefully, second Peter three, one this is now beloved, the second letter. I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember. Notice that, not just feelings or emotions or opinions, but clear thinking. And how rare that is today, isn't it, friends? So join me as we seek to have our minds purged from false thinking. Here we go. That you should remember what? The words. What words? Why, words spoken beforehand by the Holy Prophets, that's the Old Testament, 39 books, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles, that's the 27 books of the New Testament. In other words, remember, think clearly, meditate upon the Bible, the Word of God. Why? Because, verse 3, First of all, know this, says Peter, that in the last days, and we're surely in them now, aren't we, scoffers, mockers will come walking after their own lessons, saying, where's the promise of his coming? What's all this talk about? The second coming of Christ, the Antichrist, the tribulation, the Armageddon, the kingdom, the heaven and hell. They're ridiculous, absurd. Why? Now listen to their reason for, for thinking that all of these prophecies are irrelevant and false. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, they will say, ever since our ancestors died, all things continued just as they were, from the beginning of creation. Nothing has really changed. Oh, yes, now and then we have a volcano exploding, a hurricane, a tsunami, uh, something, but no no supernatural global catastrophes have ever happened or ever will. Oh, really? Now, listen, friends, that's what we call uniformitarianism, and every major reputable uh, accredited university in the world in their science department Every public tax-supported high school in America is devoted to what? Uniformitarianism. Everything is the same as it ever has been and always will be. Why? No, 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 wait a minute. They will say forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation? That provokes an amazing response from God through the Apostle Peter. Listen carefully. Verse 5. For when they maintain this, they willfully are ignorant of the fact that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth. They reject, repudiate, ignore the biblical record of original creation in six literal days. Well, wait a minute. What else are they ignoring? They're ignoring the fact that the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, the flood of the days of Noah. You see his answer? They are willfully ignorant of two things, biblical creationism and biblical catastrophism. They're saying, we don't believe those things. We believe what we see. And so, dear friends, uniformitarianism saturates and dominates the science world today, and it was that and understanding of uniformitarianism that Charles Darwin built his theory of evolution on back in the early part of the 19th century. So we have a tremendous challenge here, don't we? Search the Bible. Find out what God says about how the world was created and how it was destroyed through the Genesis flood. Because, friends, and here's the shocker, there's going to be another flood coming at the end of the world, not of water, but of fire. Now watch how this is going to happen. Verse 7. But the present heavens and earth, by his word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. You say, fire, what kind of fire? Look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Wow. So what do we do about that? Verse 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. You say elements melt? That's impossible, sir. Well, really, for thousands of years people thought that the basic physical units of the universe were indestructible and permanent. That's why they were called atoms, which means no split. Ah, no, like ah millennial, ah theist, ah tom, no split. Oh, really? It's like God saying, Watch me now. And the world changed forever in that summer of 1945 A.D. I was still a sto- soldier in Germany, waiting to go back to America after the war in Europe had ended. And we were electrified to hear something that had happened in Japan. Two atomic, atomic bombs fell on two cities Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Tens of thousands of people perished immediately as two bombs fell upon them. So God is telling us, friends, there's really no such thing as an atom. Everything is destructible. In fact, the whole world could perish immediately if God stopped doing what? If God stopped holding it together, as he does moment by moment. All he'd have to do is stop doing what he is doing, and we're gone. And I say, Lord, this is awful. This is incredible. And you know, scientists who are skilled in physics, atomic physics, will never be the same since that atomic bomb fell on Hiroshima. Yes, they are in a state of terror. In fact, when I went back to America in the beginning of 1946 to re-enter Princeton University, where I had been studying, uh, our Princeton Evangelical Fellowship, a Christian group on the campus, decided to sponsor a Christian film called The God of Creation, produced by the Moody Institute of Science, Irwin Moon, We invited all the faculty and students to come to Frick Chemistry Lab Auditorium. That was May 1947. A couple hundred people came. Guess who walked in? Albert Einstein. He was at the Institute for Advanced Studies. He was fascinated. He was not an atheist. He was fascinated by issues of where did the universe come from. And, you know, he heard the gospel that night. It was a gospel presentation in that film. And as he left, I gave him a gospel tract. Whether he ever read it or not, I don't know. But one thing for sure, he was a very depressed person. Why? Because he saw no hope for mankind with the atomic bomb. He thought everything could be wiped out immediately. He didn't understand, of course, that God still has some things to do at the end of the world, doesn't he? For the church, for Israel, for the nations. Yes, we know from the Bible prophecy, God has amazing, gracious plans to bring in the kingdom to this earth. But now we know, dear friends, that we're held together by that that invisible thread from God to earth called long-suffering, mercy. And I say, thank you, God, for that understanding. You know, it's sort of like it was in the days of Noah. You remember how Noah had to warn people year after year, decade after, there's a flood coming, there's a catastrophe coming, there's a place of refuge here in this ark. And we read about that, don't we, in Hebrews 11. Verse 7. Listen to this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, and we haven't seen this flood of fire yet, have we? But it's coming. He had never seen a flood of water, but it was coming. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now, just imagine with me, if you can, friends, for a moment. What that must have been like! Picture the Ark project nearing completion, and a delegation of pre-flood scientists coming to Noah and saying, "Sir, what are you doing up here in this high hill? You spent decades building a gigantic barge. What in the world are you doing up here?" To which Noah would doubtless answer by saying, "There's a flood coming." God has warned us, graciously told us we can escape this flood by coming into the ark. Water is going to fall from the sky and can come up from the oceans below. And you can imagine what they would say. Sir, this has never happened. Nothing like this has ever happened. No water ever came up or down. To which Noah could easily reply by saying, I understand exactly where you are coming from, men. I have not lived on this earth 600 years for nothing. I know a, a great deal about what's never happened. I'm telling you of things not seen as yet that God Almighty has graciously announced to warn us to take refuge from this coming catastrophe inside of this ark. You know, you know what their answer was? No, we don't believe you. That is amazing. In fact, the situation, dear friends, is so bad that Jesus describes it this way. Matthew 24. Maya, listen to this. The coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Oh, no, not that bad. Because when Christ returns, the whole world will be under the beast, the false prophet, the beast, the Antichrist. Millions of people will be killed by global catastrophes and by the Antichrist killing everyone who won't bow before his image, the abomination of desolation. It will be a horrible time of tribulation. Jesus said uh, the coming of the Son of Man at Armageddon will be just like the days of Noah. Really? Well, what were those days like? Listen to this. For in those days, Jesus said, this is Matthew 24, 38 now, friends, in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, and they were marrying and giving in marriage. You say, well, what's wrong with that? We're doing that today. But wait a minute. That was their highest goal in life, just feeding and multiplying. Well, animals can do that too. And God didn't create humans in his image and likeness to do nothing more than animals do. So they were consigned to destruction by the deluge. Listen to what happened. Until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand, they didn't believe what God said to them through Noah. You remember, he was a faithful preacher of the word, Second Timothy, Second Peter chapter 2. He was a preacher. He warned people. He taught people, but they didn't believe him. They did not understand, they didn't want to believe this, until what? Until the flood came and took them all away. Everybody perished. Look what how Jesus endorses the flood. He mentions it twice. He mentions Noah, Noah's Ark. He tells them they were all taken away. It was a universal catastrophe of water. And, and friends, when you stop to think about that, that Ark was a visual aid of God's mercy, wasn't it? availability of his mercy. Today, today, God has an ark as well. And it's not it's not made of wood, trust me. It's going to be a fire flood that God is going to protect us from. And therefore, the ark is a person, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, I'm the way. No man comes to the Father but by me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'm meek and lowly of heart you shall find rest unto your souls. And I say, Lord Jesus, help me to believe you. Help me to enter into you by faith, to take you at your word, your invitation. God so loved the world, friends, that includes you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, you don't have to improve your morality, your dedication. No, you just have to trust his provision. Whoever believes in him, his death on the cross on our behalf, his resurrection from the dead, shall not not perish, but shall have now everlasting life. Friend, think of it. When the flood comes, the flood fire, yes, the flood of fire coming, the only escape is Jesus Christ, the Savior. So when you enter the ark of Jesus by faith, God, as it were, shuts the door of his securing hand upon your soul in Jesus Christ. And when the fire flood comes, and it will, in Christ we will rise above the highest flames and be landed upon the shores of a new earth in which dwells righteousness forever. But outside of Jesus Christ, the ultimate final ark, there is no hope, no salvation for anyone at all, evermore. And so we see how catastrophism is the key to the future. It helps us to understand, dear friends, our choices, Every dispensation, every phase of human history, past, present, future, is a time of choice. Yes, God, I need you. I believe in you. I accept your offer of salvation. Just as in the days of Noah, people were offered survival, deliverance, salvation, but rejected it and denied it. And so we read, of course, how awful people were back then. Twice it says it in Genesis 6 the whole earth was filled with violence. Yes, just not violent animals like dinosaurs and so forth, but violent people, demonically depraved, who killed each other and just completely rejected, suppressed, denied, twisted, ridiculed the word of God until finally the door of the ark slammed shut and it was too late to be physically saved. Not too late to be spiritually saved. They could still repent while dying. But to be physically saved, too late. The day of grace had ended. Eight people survived that flood. And so, friends, as we look everywhere in the world today and see right before our eyes, like a great cut in a mountain to make a highway go through, layer upon layer, and we drive past that not even thinking of what that means. That's God saying, now look, dear driver, dear passenger, take a look at these layers. While those were being formed day after day, week after week, month after month during the hydrodynamics of a year-long global catastrophe, there was an ark floating on top of it with eight people in it and thirty or 40,000 animals. Noah's ark. Don't laugh at Noah's ark, friends. It was the sole exclusive means to save people from the global destruction of the flood. And so today, when you see a church with a steeple on it and a cross on it, what's that cross mean? It's a symbol. It can't save you, but it points to someone who can. A man hung on that central cross 2,000 years ago who also was God. God, man, one person, Jesus Christ. And he came to save you and me from eternal destruction. And I say, Lord, help me to understand who he is, what he's done. He is my ark of salvation forever. And so, friends, to Listen more carefully to what the Apostle Peter said. He said, do not deny the second coming of Christ. You don't say, where's the promise of his coming? You say, I believe it. I believe that by the word of God, the heavens and the earth were created. By the word of God, the heavens and earth were destroyed by the, in the time of the flood. I believe by the word of God that there's going to come another catastrophe at the end of the world. And so we read in 2 Peter 3.13, by way of concluding all of these thoughts, friends, on the future significance of catastrophism. According to his promise, his promise, God never lies. He knows what he's talking about. He's been here forever. He's Alpha and Omega. By his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which, what? Righteousness dwells. And so Peter says, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things... A new heavens, a new earth in which righteousness will prevail. What are we supposed to do now? Be diligent to be found by him. Do you know him? Are you just related to somebody who does? Do you just occasionally go to church? Do you occasionally open your Bible? Do you really know him? Are you belonging to Jesus? Are you a born-again Christian? Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, not just justified, not just possessing eternal life. But being prepared to meet the Lord and to hear him say, dear child, here's what you said. Here's what you meant by what you said. Here's what you did. Here was your motivation. And I say, Lord, I don't want to be ashamed before you when you come. So we realize in Peter's final words, dear friends, how we fit into all of this, don't we? You therefore, beloved, verse 17, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men cults, isms, false teaching everywhere Uh, on our computers and our radio stations and television for everywhere Hollywood all kinds of classroom situations the error of unprincipled men who have no basis in the word of God for what they're saying what do we do? you fall from your own steadfastness don't do that But do what instead? Here we have the final words of Peter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in him. Keep growing. Each day, Lord, I need help. I want to go where I can be helped. I want to have the right kind of books and study things to help me understand my Bible better. I need advice, encouragement, counsel from those who are mature in the Lord. Because the final words of this great letter from Peter to Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Friend, I invite you to join with me as we move onward and upward with Jesus Christ, looking for the coming of a new heavens and new earth to be with Him forever and forever.
0: Dr. John Whitcomb, with a message called Catastrophism is the Key to the Future, the concluding lesson from this series on the importance of God's miraculous judgment throughout history, including those that are still ahead. Remember, you can listen to any of these messages again at sermonaudio.com forward slash whitcomb. And we also have a question for Dr. Whitcomb today to help us understand more about these important issues. We're going to go back again to Matthew 24, beginning with verse 37. Dr. Whitcomb, Jesus noted some interesting parallels between the days of Noah and the time of his own future second coming. What does Jesus mean when he said, The coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of
1: Noah? Wayne, this is an amazing question. And I've pondered about this for many years. What did Jesus really mean in Matthew 24:37? when he said, The coming of the Son of Man, that's his second coming in glory now, will be just like the days of Noah. In what ways will it be similar? Listen carefully to what he said. For in those days, there were before the flood. They were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, obviously, the ones that were taken away were the unbelievers. The believers remained in the ark alive and repopulated the world after the flood ended. But notice how he applies this to the second coming, his second coming in glory, just after the Battle of Armageddon. Then there should be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Some people think that means the rapture. No, no, that will have happened seven years earlier. That's something that that Jesus doesn't talk about in this Olivet Discourse where he's discussing the future of Israel at his second coming in glory in the inauguration of the thousand-year kingdom. So what does he mean when he says that uh, one will be taken and the other left? It must mean the same thing he meant in verse 39. At the flood, the unbelievers were taken away And the believers, of course, therefore remain Noah's family, eight people. So in the second coming, some will be taken away to judgment. Some will be left. Now, what can that mean? Well, of course, we know from the book of Daniel, don't we? The last chapter, that there's a special time here after the second coming of Christ to which believers must attain to be able to enter the millennium alive with Jesus. Listen carefully. Daniel 12. Verse 12, how blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Well, friends, 1,335 days after the Antichrist has set up the abomination of desolations, which is described in the previous verse, and then Jesus will come 1,260 days later, and then there will be an additional 75 days during which the whole world will be purged of unbelief, one kind of judgment after another. And Jesus said something very mysterious about that. He said, assuming, of course, that we've mastered the book of Daniel, he said, but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. Yes, and every unbelieving person will finally, finally have been removed or the kingdom cannot be officially inaugurated. The, the, the world, your friends, must be purged and cleansed from rebellion, unbelief. Friend, I have a question. I'm sure you do too. What do I have to do to qualify not to be taken away? I have to simply believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the one who came to die on the cross for my sins, to rise from the dead to demonstrate to the whole universe that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, Savior of the world. So I will not be taken away in judgment. If I believe in him, are you ready? Do you know him? Do you love him? Share the word. My God bless.
0: Thank you, Dr. Whitcomb. Encounter God's Truth comes to you each week from Whitcomb Ministries. Please watch for the latest on our web pages at whitcombministries.org and facebook.com slash Ministries. And if you are blessed by this program, make sure to let the station in which you are hearing it know and thank them for airing the broadcast. Until next time, I'm Wayne Shepherd reminding you that the Word of God is true from the beginning to the end. Thanks for studying with us.